Good morning, Fellowship family. Hey, I wanted to begin this morning sharing just a couple of things with you. One, we are so glad that you are here with us, whether in person or online. It's been our prayer that we all would experience something truly transformational in the presence of Jesus Christ. He has such an extraordinary way of speaking through his word and by the Holy Spirit. And this is a great place. It's a great time to listen. You know, and second, we wanted to pause and just to acknowledge the, the deep concern that many have over the direction that our political discourse has taken. You know, we were a nation where elections are a very important part of our citizenship, but far too often the process can lead to great division and great anxiety in the hearts of so many. But this morning, we have the opportunity as a family to confidently declare that our future hope is not in the hands of any elected politician. Amen? Proverbs 21 one reminds us that the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. Government is just the tool. And we're not here to worship the tool. We're here to worship Jesus Christ for what he has done. Because he humbled himself in obedience to God the Father. And he stepped down willingly, freely from his rightful place of honor and gave his life for us so that we could experience freedom, true freedom and forgiveness from our sins. It's because of all that that God exalted him to the place of highest honor. There is no higher. And gave him the name that is above every other name. And there is a day where every president Every senator, every member of Congress, every king that has ever walked the face of this planet, every one of us will bow and acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen? Yeah, indeed. And so we have the opportunity to confidently make a statement this morning. Are you with me? Well, let's do this. Let's stand and celebrate our God. Yeah. 
be exalted above any other. And we have a chance to declare our praise together as a family. Let's sing this out. Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Who can stop the Lord Almighty? No one. Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Who can stop the Over the next month, members of fellowship will have the opportunity to nominate new elders to our elder board. In our church governance structure, the elder board is made up of godly men who make critical and significant decisions on behalf of our church body. We are not a church with elders, we are a church led by elders. The nomination and recognition process are very important to the health of our church family. And we ask that you enter into this season prayerfully. Here is what we are asking members of fellowship to do. First, please pray for the elder nomination process and discern whether you should nominate someone to the office of elder. Second, if you do have a nomination, please visit fellowshipnwa.org forward slash elder nomination and complete the online form. Read the accompanying document entitled Qualifications of an Elder before making your nomination. Or if you prefer a paper nomination form, you may pick one up at the information desk located in the worship center foyer at each campus. The nomination form will be attached to the qualification of an elder document. Please mail paper nominations to the church office on the Rogers campus to the attention of the elders. The deadline for making a nomination is December 22nd. Please pray for your elders as we initiate the recognition of new elders. Finally, we would like to thank John Dyer and Doug Walker for their many years of faithful service as elders. They have done a phenomenal job of representing you and the Lord well during their tenure. When you see them, thank them for their service and thank you 
for your participation and help. Operation Christmas Child is when we give some toys and stuff to kids that don't get Christmas. To me, it feels really, really good because we get to help share the word of Jesus. We have been doing Operation Christmas Child boxes since 2012 when I was born. We get stuffed animals and toy cars, balls, Barbies, toothbrushes, washcloths, soap, crayons, pencils, pencil erasers. When the kids are opening the boxes and pulling out the toys that we've given them, I feel I'm really happy that um, I've just shared um, Christmas presents and the Word of God on God's birthday. When I am putting the stuff in the boxes, it makes me feel happy that I'm giving stuff to people that don't get Christmas. When the kids get the Operation Children boxes, they get also get to learn about Jesus. It makes me feel happy um, when I start putting this stuff in because um, Jesus is in my heart. My mom and dad are trying to teach me to love better kids that don't get to get Christmas. I think it's important for people to do Operation Christmas Child Boxes is so then um, they can feel good inside and God will be happy that we've just shared the Word of God to other people. And to make sure that every person that doesn't get Christmas gets Christmas. Well, good morning, everyone. It is so good to see you. Uh, for you at home who I can't see, it's good to see you as well. Uh, I, hope, I hope you all are doing good at home as well. Um, hey, welcome. My name is Kyle Plunkett. I have the, the privilege and the pleasure of getting to work with the FSM team here at the Rogers campus, loving on our 7th through 12th grade Rogers guys, and I'm just happy to be here this morning. Um, and before we go any further into our announcements, um, there's actually a couple people in the room who I'd like us to honor today. With Wednesday being Veterans Day, um, if you have served or are currently serving in the U.S. Armed Forces, will you please stand so as a church we can love on you and show you our appreciation? Hey, thank you so much. Thank you all so much for what you do. Um, hey, if this is your first time or your thousandth time at Fellowship Bible Church, I say welcome. If y'all would like, grab your cell phone, open up your camera app, and hold it up to the QR code that's behind me. And what's going to happen is you're going to have a drop-down tab. You can click on it. And then one of the things you're going to see with the drop-down tab is a link. Uh, well, this is also going to be all the announcements you can follow along with me. But you're going to find a link to the Operation Christmas Child. We just watched a really sweet video um, of the OCC 
And uh, we have a really awesome opportunity to partner with Operation Christmas Child this Christmas season um, in giving some gifts to some kids in some other countries. So if you would like, you can grab boxes in the foyer, um, fill them up with gifts and goodies of all kinds. You have instructions in those boxes, and then you can bring them back to us on November 22nd. We can send those out. Um, I, I can remember as a kid doing the Operation Christmas Child boxes and uh, being really kind of frustrated and angry that all of the fun toys that we had just bought at Target and Walmart weren't actually going to make it into my stocking. And it wasn't until my parents began to explain the gospel implications of the Operation Christmas Child boxes that I began to understand that giving in the season was more important than receiving. It was kind of a formative time in my, my young life as a young believer. So if you're a parent in the room or a parent at home, uh, you actually have a really cool opportunity to share the gospel twice this Christmas season. Once with your kids as you're explaining why we do the OCC boxes, and then secondly, with, uh, you're kind of paying it forward with the gospel for the kids who receive the box. I think it's something like one in five or one in ten kids who receive the box end up coming to know Jesus as their Savior. So it's a really cool opportunity. Um, and kind of as we're in the Christmas spirit, you can also sign up for our Christmas Advent Devo. Um, you can also click on the QR code, go online. You're going to get a daily um, email of scripture and prayers that you can follow along with us as a church body during this Christmas season. We also get to partner with the Community Kids College or the CKC this year. And I know many of you in the past have been uh, kind of looking forward to picking a student, getting to sponsor them, buy them clothes and food and helping the community kids closet. But this year, just due to current regulations, they've, they've asked us to donate directly to them instead of going and, and shopping for our kids. And so if you'd like to donate to that cause, you can give online through fellowship. You can give on their Facebook page. Um, and you can also write a check to Community Kids Closet or the CKC and put them in the slots that are by the water fountain um, or outside in, in the kind of on the other side of the doors where you're used to giving tithe or offering money. So once you pick up your OCC box, download your QR code, donate money to the CKC, we want you to, to go outside and sign the B-E-E, the B-E-A, no, I'm just kidding. We want you to sign the beam. We have a beam over in the, the West uh, Breezeway and also at the Bentonville campus. So we would love for you and your family or you and your small group or just you and yourself to go stop by the beam at one of those campuses and uh, write a Bible verse, maybe write down a prayer and, and pray for Fellowship Bentonville as it's being constructed. It's really cool to get to be a part um, of the construction of this church and, and kind of leave a legacy that way. Okay, do you all have all that? That's a lot of stuff, I know. Remember, if you need a refresher, got the QR code, you can kind of see everything we're going through. It's gonna be good for us because I got one more announcement. One more that I'm really excited about. If you are a seventh through 12th grade Springdale, Rogers, Bentonville, girl or guy, we get to have a four-week special Christmas Advent service over in the FSM room. We get to be back after seven months. I know, I can't wait. I can't, it's gonna be incredible. I mean, we've, we've been missing you guys. We've missed gathering together. Uh, it's gonna be safe, distant. We have little blue X's marked up and down the rides. We're gonna sit. We're gonna wear our face masks. We get four weeks together. We're not sure about the spring yet. We're gonna, we're gonna see where the Lord leads us by that point now, but we get to, we get to worship together um, leading into Christmas. So that starts the 29th of this month. Um, I'm just really excited about it. At FSM, we believe that you become who you behold. And we love doing that in the context of community. We love doing that as we belong together. And we've, we've just missed that, that core part on Sunday morning, so we're excited about it. And church, just like our students, just like our seventh through 12th grade students, uh, we believe all of us in this room can behold Jesus together. We, we know that we can belong to him and belong together. And ultimately, we're called to become his disciple. We're called to become like him. 
So will you all stand with me this morning as our worship team leads us uh, into beholding him together? And will you also pray with me this morning um, as we ask that God will, will transform us to become more like him? Lord, we love you. God, we worship you. We're thankful that you are in control and that you are king. Jesus, help us to become more like you. Amen. One more thing as we continue in worship. Uh, November 22nd is our Thanksgiving share service, special time for us each year. And, but this year in lieu of doing open mic sharing, we're asking you, to take a short video, just capture it on your cell phone or computer or other device and just express your gratitude for what Jesus is doing in and through your life. You know, we hope to use these to encourage the body and, and, and to give God the glory that he is due. And so it's real easy if you wanna participate and we need you to do it by this Wednesday, no pressure. Yen, you good? Yeah, okay. And uh, all you have to do is to take your video and go to fellowshiprogers.org slash thanksgivingshare, and uh, it'll give you instructions on how to upload your video to that, our website. And if you end up having any questions whatsoever, anything at all, you know, just feel free to contact Sam Hannon at any time of day or night, and I'm sure that he can get up out of bed and answer what you need. So uh, it'll be good. But hey, we wanted to take just a moment and just take a deep breath, just pause is we're gonna explore in God's word and to celebrate and worship the certainty of Christ's promised return. He has promised us that he is coming back. And we're gonna sing songs that remind us what it looks like to live in light of our promise keeper. Jesus is the only one who has never and will never break his promises to us. And so I think that's worthy of celebration, don't you? Well, let's do it. We're heaven's born creations, his pride and adoration, treasures woven by his love. His careful hands, they hold us safe within his promise of calling and of destiny.
we turn our eyes to John 14 and the words of our Savior. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my Father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. We worship the promise maker, the promise keeper. And we know that he is with us through his spirit. And that when Christ finished the work on the cross and he rose again to conquer sin and death, we, we believe that his work was finished. But we also believe that he is still pleading the right hand of the Father on our behalf. He loves us so much to do that, that he's coming back. Oh, what hope we have in Jesus this morning. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, your perfect love is casting out fear. And even when I'm caught in the middle of the storms of this life, I won't turn back, I know you
indeed, Jesus, you never let us go. Let's hear just your voices singing. Singing. triune God, it is true. We do become what we behold. So right now we choose to fix our eyes upon Jesus. He's the author and the perfecter, the finisher of our faith. Lord, we can't do this on our own. We can't have just willpower to try to set our eyes upon you. Uh, we need the power of your spirit. We need the aid of your word. We believe right now that your word that we open that it's a window and it lets us to peer into more of who you are. It's also a mirror that will show us more of who we are. So we're willing, Holy Spirit, search us, show us who we are, how we need to change. But better than that, turn our eyes upon Jesus. For we do love him. And it's in Jesus' name your people gather to say, amen. Amen. Good morning. I hope you're well. Hey, I've got a question for you as we start. Anybody know uh, an historical U.S. event that's been called the Great Disappointment? And do not say what you're thinking, okay? Do not say 2020, okay? Historians may call it that down the road, but that's not what's known as the great disappointment in U.S. history. No, it actually occurred between 1843 and 1844 after the Second Great Awakening. A New York farmer and Baptist preacher named William Miller was studying Daniel chapter 8, and he became convinced that Jesus would come back between then and 1844, sometime in the next year. Now listen, it wasn't just a kind of a small movement that took off as his preaching about the return of Christ continued. The movement grew so much so that a movement called the Millerites was born. We actually have denominations that exist today that were born out of the Millerite movement. But Millerites believed that Jesus would come back sometime between March 21st, 1843 and March 21st, 1844. Well, guess what happened when they woke up on March 22nd, 1844? You know what happened? They woke up. Yeah, they woke up and they were disappointed. And they, but then they concluded the problem was that they had been using the wrong calendar. They should have been using the Jewish calendar. So the new date was fixed at April the 14th, 1844. Guess what happened on April 15th, 1844? Yeah, they woke up. So church council got together and concluded that April was just the beginning of a seven-month season of end-time events and that Jesus would actually return on October 21st, 1844. I know the suspense is killing you right now, but guess what happened when they woke up on October 22nd? They woke up. And a great disappointment set in. In fact, one leader's diary reads this way. My town is sick with disappointment. 
Most Christians have returned to life as it was before with no one looking for the return of Jesus. And men and women, that's the real great disappointment. The great disappointment is not that Jesus didn't return on October 22nd, 1844. The great disappointment is that Christians stopped looking for him to return at all. Some would say the second coming of Jesus is not important to the practical Christian life today. I wouldn't just disagree with that. I would strongly disagree with that because the apostles in the New Testament would strongly disagree with that. Do you know that 23 of 27 New Testament books talk about the return of Jesus? Do you know that one in every 30 verses you read in your New Testament talks about the return of Jesus to planet Earth? Do you know that Jesus himself actually promised us 21 times in the Gospels that he would return again? In fact, when you look at this book of uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, particularly we're going to look at this morning, but 1 Thessalonians in our fall series alone, you've noticed that Paul keeps talking about the return of Christ. In fact, he closes every chapter in 1 Thessalonians with a reference to the return of Christ. In chapter 1, he said, we wait for his son who delivers us from wrath. In chapter 2, when we see you in the presence of the Lord Jesus at his coming. Chapter 3, holy before God at his coming with all the saints. Chapter 4, verse 17 was last week's chapter. When we meet the Lord in the air at his coming, and then three or four times in this chapter, particularly closing the chapter, we will read, may you be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen, don't forget who the Thessalonian church was. This wasn't just people who had curiosity about trivia that didn't matter. This was a young, fairly infantile in the faith group of believers who were suffering persecution. And Paul knew, the Holy Spirit knows, that we need to see a good end if we're gonna stay faithful in the race in the middle. That the second coming of Jesus Christ matters to the believer who wants to walk faithfully with Christ today. What do you say we jump into chapter five and see what the second coming has to say? Verse one is where we start. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers and sisters, you have no need to have anything written to you. Why? Well, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. So last week, in chapter four, Nick Rowland, one of our teaching pastors, he talked about what's known as the rapture, a time when Jesus will come back for his church and he will take us up off of the earth to be with him in glory forever. Now here in chapter five, Paul says, now as to when these season, these events happen, he says, you're well aware. Now why are they well aware? Obviously, Paul had taught them. Now don't forget, he only had a small amount of time with them as he planted the church. He didn't think that talking about the end times was just something that advanced Christians do. He actually thought it was something that was foundational for all Christians. And he says, you're well aware because I talked about these things when I was with you. Now, I just want to go on record here and tell you, did you notice what Nick Rowland did last week when he talked about these things with you when he was with you? He skipped it. He said, oh, I'm not going to talk about this. We'll wait for Mark Schatzman to come next week. When you see Nick, Nick, if you're in this service, just know that I owe you one. When you see Nick, you need to say, hey, chapter one says when you were with us, you should have talked about these things. 
So let's talk about these things. Paul calls these end time events the day of the Lord. So what does that term, day of the Lord, mean? Well, it's a day of judgment. It's a day of judgment that leads to the ultimate and final day of judgment. If you read your Bible from Genesis to Revelation, you'll see the term day of the Lord comes up a lot. 200 times in the Old Testament prophets alone. And the day of the Lord, that term, doesn't always describe the exact same event. It describes any event that God is moving in powerful ways to bring judgment or correction to the planet. So like the prophet Jeremiah, he said the day of the Lord was when God would use Babylon to judge Egypt for the way they had acted wickedly. But then in Isaiah, Isaiah says the day of the Lord would be a day that God would judge Babylon for the way she treated Judah in captivity. But then Zechariah says there's two days of the Lord's. One of them is the final battle of Armageddon at the end of time, and the other one is the 1,000-year rule of the Messiah on planet Earth. But then Peter in the New Testament shows up and says, no, the day of the Lord ultimately will be when God comes and melts down this heaven and earth with great heat and remakes a new heaven and earth. So which is it? Yes, the day of the Lord is any major intervention of God in human history, and it always accomplishes one of two things. God blesses his people and punishes his enemies. That's sobering, isn't it? And here, we see that this day of the Lord term for reckoning of God in 1 Thessalonians talks about a final judgment of God in human history. A day when human history will wrap up in its conclusion. And he says that the day of the Lord will come, and he gives a metaphor. He says, like a thief in the night. And the interesting thing is that phrase, the day of the Lord will come, in the original language that the New Testament's re written in, it's actually a, what's known as a, the futuristic present tense. Doesn't that sound like an oxymoron? Here's what it means. A future event that could happen now. A future event that could happen Today, perhaps today. And Paul wants believers who want to walk faithfully with Jesus to see that that future event could happen now. The imagery he uses is sudden and severe. He's trying to make sure that he paints a vivid picture for us. Look at verse three. He says, while people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. So this sudden pain, this sudden destruction, this day of the Lord that Paul's talking about, sometimes in church circles and around the, looking at the scriptures, you hear it described as the great tribulation. This seven-year period on earth where God judges all of sin and Satan and all of his enemies. And, and Jesus tells us on the front end that that day will be a very long and painful day. Jesus actually says there'll be no day in human history that's ever been like it. Now listen, our Savior does not over-exaggerate. No day like it. What? Are you telling me that it's worse than the flood in the days of Noah? Are you telling me that it's worse than the days of Abraham with Sodom and Gomorrah? Are you telling me that it's worse than the horrors we've seen in our modern age? 
like the Holocaust under Nazism or the ethnic cleansing in Rwanda. How can it be that all of a sudden Paul has our attention? You can't be a, a feeling, awake believer without knowing he's grabbed our attention. He says it's as sure and sudden as a, as a pregnant woman who, who goes into labor and to make sure that we really feel, because he doesn't want us just to think, he wants us to feel the weight of this. He says you will not escape. And again, in the original language, it's a double negative that's used for emphasis. This is what his hearer would have heard in Thessalonica. You will not, no not, escape. Now he has our attention, doesn't he? This sudden and severe time of judgment that God brings upon the earth. And if you're still confused, maybe clarifying some terms can help. Often in church circles and with Christians, you hear words about the end times all lumped in together. So you'll hear words like rapture. You'll hear words like second coming, like great tribulation, like millennial kingdom, and we we think maybe they're describing all the same event and we toss them into a blender called the end times and we go, and we're confused. Lisa and I had a, uh, an international student live with us for one year. In her senior year at Heritage High School, she had to take U.S. history. So imagine she comes home and they're slinging around terms like Revolutionary War, and Civil War, and War of 1812, and Spanish-American War, and she just throws them all into a blender called U.S. history and she went, and you know what happened? She got Fs until we sat down and clarified the terms and drew out a timeline. And she was like, oh, that makes sense. Could we clarify terms and do a timeline too? So you'll hear terms like rapture. Again, Nick Rowland taught about this last week. And he talked about Jesus appearing in the clouds to remove believers, remove his church from the earth. That's 1 Thessalonians 4. But you also hear words like tribulation. That's 1 Thessalonians 5. That's where we are right now. And that's a, a seven-year period of great suffering that does two things. It disciplines Israel and it judges the nations. And then you hear terms like second coming. That's the return of King Jesus where he will reign upon the earth to bring about righteousness and peace and joy. And that happens specifically through a millennial kingdom, a 1,000-year reign of Jesus upon the earth. These are not the same events, but they are connected to end times. And how do they lay out? Here's my crude attempt at a diagram. Maybe that might be helpful. God has been working his plan to the, uh, uh, through the ages, through the people of Israel, in which he began to show his glory to them, but also reveal his glory through them until Jesus Christ came in that manger. And at his first coming, God comes on the planet to deal with the two problems we deal with the most. The most severe pain we suffer is the pain of sin and the pain of death. And so, at his first coming, he dies on a cross for our sin and he conquers death in the empty tomb. He ascends back to heaven. But before he ascends, he gathers his followers together. And he says, men and women, you're now on assignment. When the Holy Spirit comes, the church will be born and you will live on assignment until I return. Ready, break. And now we live in the church age. And that's the age that 2020 finds itself. That's where the people of Fellowship Bible Church find ourselves. 
in the church age until Jesus comes back again. And we know from 1 Thessalonians 4, it'll be sudden with a trumpet blast, a shout, perhaps even today. And he'll rapture his church from the earth and then usher in a period of seven years of judgment on this earth. When that period of judgment is finished, Jesus will come back to earth as a king to bring around a reign of righteousness, peace, and joy. And at the end of that millennial reign, the eternal state starts, the new heavens and the new earth. Is anybody in here going, huh, that's, I'm curious about that. Here's what it says, follow the huh, chase your curiosity, begin to study more. Use the training center classroom that we have. Right now, everything is online and video. Go to the training center website and look for one, one of two classes, either Our Faith that has a, a session on end times events or We Believe that talks about end times and eschatology. Take an hour and just feed your curiosity. But the day of the Lord, this period of the end, will be sudden and severe the metaphor that Jesus, Paul, and Peter all use is comes like a thief in the night. So that tells us that this tribulation will be unexpected and unannounced. And verse three, remember, told us it could be in the future or now, but we live as though it is coming perhaps even today. And so that's when I have to stop and go, what if before this worship service was over, we heard the shout from the archangel, we heard the trumpet blast, would that mean that we as believers walk through the seven-year tribulation? No, I don't believe so. I believe that the scriptures speak of a different plan that God has for his church and that not everyone will experience that day of the Lord tribulation the same way. Remember, chapter five talks about the great tribulation, right? Chapter four talked about the rapture, Jesus removing his church from the earth to be with him. Now listen, all believers believe in the visible body, at least orthodox believers believe in the visible bodily return of Jesus to this earth. They believe in a rapture happening where Jesus will catch up his people in the air. We do disagree somewhat on the timing. Some believe that the rapture will happen before the tribulation, Obviously, with the diagram I drew, I kind of showed my cards, didn't I? I believe that the rapture will have happened before the tribulation. That's even been the historical position of Fellowship Bible. Some believe it'll happen in the middle of the tribulation, and some will believe it'll happen after the tribulation, that Christians will go through the tribulation. And you know what that means? We'll all still live together in harmony and be in the same community group. Godly, sharp believers who love the Bible, have differences on the timing. I happen to believe the rapture will happen before the great time of judgment Paul talks about here. And I'm 65% sure that I'm right, okay? And I think this passage alone gives us some evidence that the rapture will happen before the tribulation. So some of the evidence I see when we look at the passage, you see if you see it as well. Verse two says that it'll be sudden and surprising like a thief in the night. So it's gonna catch everyone off guard. How can that be unless the believers are already removed from the tribulation because the tribulation we read about in Revelation has some very visible global signs. Not only that, verse three says people will be seeing, saying peace and safety. 
And yet if you read Revelation, I'm telling you, nobody is shouting peace and safety. Jesus says they're fleeing for the hills. They're not picking up lunch at fast food place and having a picnic together. So Christians, I don't believe, are, are here for that event. Not only that, verses three through seven that you're gonna see in a little bit, you're gonna see two sets of pronouns that are used differently. He talks about people who are known as these and those versus we and us and you, telling me there's two different groups of people who are gonna experience the same event differently. And then in verse nine and 10 that we're gonna look at, he says, God has destined you to be saved from wrath. Now, I know sometimes as Christians, when we read the verse, the word saved, we always think that means salvation of when I go to heaven after I die, right? But the word saved means delivered, and so you always look at context to know what we're delivered from. The context in verse nine and 10 here is we're delivered from this day of wrath of the day of the Lord tribulation. So for example, my grandson Oliver, who's eight years old, let's say he runs into my kitchen and he screams, Pops, Pops, save me! And I look behind him and I see his four-year-old little sister chasing him with a stick. I know Oliver is probably not saying, Pops, run to the bedroom, grab your Bible, and lead me to faith in Jesus Christ so that I can know how I can go to heaven when I die. No, he's saying, save me from wrath. And wrath in that context is a four-year-old cute little sister who's been trying to rule the world since she was born, okay? (laughs) So we look at the context of what we're being saved from. And there's other evidence outside of the book of 1 Thessalonians The most compelling to me is to remember what the purpose is of the tribulation in general. God loves Israel. and He will put her through a hard discipline to bring her heart back to the Messiah. He also will judge the nations. Church, we are not Israel, and our sin has been judged on the cross. It's not for us in the tribulation. That's my opinion. If you have a different one, Let's still do community group together, shall we? Paul, or some Christians would say, I don't know if I agree that even any of this matters to daily Christian living. And Paul would say, I really disagree with you because if you have a clear vision of tomorrow, it will really empower your today. And let's look at the passage in more detail. Verse four, Paul says, but you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. Conclusion, so then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. And this is what's so disappointing about the great disappointment in 1844. They began to believe that it does not matter, that the normal Christian life does not include expecting the return of Jesus. Paul says that is an abnormal Christian life. The normal Christian life actually believes in and banks your life and all the promises of Jesus, including his first coming and his second coming, and we look towards that coming today. Listen, if I believed Jesus was gonna return tomorrow on Monday, don't you think you would expect me to live a little bit differently on that Monday? You would say, that man looks like he's awake and alert, and that's the point of Paul's passage. Be sober, alert, and be awake. It's the opposite of what he describes as spiritual sleepiness or slumber. Any other heavy sleepers in the room? 
Spouses, you can out your, your spouse right now. You know, this year we had a tornado that came through Benton County in the middle of the night, right? We, uh, it came in the middle of the night. We have a, we, in Bentonville, I live across the street from the tornado warning siren. And it went off in the middle of the night. I know it went off in the middle of the night because when I woke up in the morning, my wife told me that it went off in the middle of the night. And you know what she did? She asked me a preposterous question. She said, how could you sleep through a tornado siren? How could I answer that? I don't know how I could. I was asleep, right? And so I, I looked at her and went, ah, it's a gift. I don't know, honey. She just keeps shaking her head and says, I feel so safe. You in the house makes me feel so safe. I wonder if we have those who sleep heavily through their days as believers. Hey, how do you know if you're sleepwalking through your Christian life right now? Your eyes are open. You're awake if your eyes are open. Your eyes are open to to looking up and seeing what God is doing in this world and how you might join him. Your eyes are open outward as you look to love and serve other people and you see the gospel as an opportunity to spread the kingdom right now in this church age. Your eyes are open as you look forward to the coming of your king and people who live with their eyes wide open are awake. But you know you're asleep if they're closed to going up and going out, and to going forward, and they've only turned inward. And they think that this world is all there is, and my interests are all that matter. And that is called spiritual slumber. Men and women, Jesus is coming back, perhaps, today. So how would we show a lifestyle of alertness and awakeness? Next verse would tell us. Verse 7, let's look at it. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But, contrast, since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. So those who have a vision on Jesus' return, remember their eyes are open forward, they live differently than those who don't. Paul says they put on a breastplate of faith and love. They put on a helmet of the hope of salvation. And all of a sudden, all of us are finding our eyes being opened to real life. And we go, wait a minute. Breastplate, helmet, that's, that's armor. When do you put on armor? When you're in battle. No one wears armor at home. What does that tell us? We are not home yet. And only asleep Christians would set up shop as though this world and all that it has is the only home we have. No, we wear an armor that notice it covers and protects our heart, breastplate, and our mind's helmet. We guard our hearts and our minds with the reality of the promises of Jesus and the promises of Jesus in faith. Let us hold back to all that he has done and in love, let us reach out to all that he's assigned us to and in hope, let us look forward to all that he has and will do. 
It makes us wait well. I love what Nick Rowland said last week in that powerful message he gave. He said, hope is not something you wish for. Hope is something we wait for. And he gave the analogy of a school child who hopes for snow days differently than they hope for Christmas vacation. One is wishful thinking. The other one is confident expectation. We wait the same way. Men and women, we live between two advents. On one hand, we live anchored to the first coming of Jesus Christ. He came in a manger, but his goal was to live as a spotless and pure life, the life we were created to live but couldn't live because of sin. And he grew and he took on a cross and he paid for the penalty of our sin. And then he rose from the dead and he conquered death. And we cling to and hope expectantly on the finished work of Jesus in his first coming. And that's incredible news, but good news gets even better because Jesus turned around and he continued the promise of the fullness of salvation. And he said, there will be a second coming. And in that second coming, Jesus will do things that we need desperately. First of all, he'll change our bodies into perfect bodies like him. And my achy knees say, come, Lord Jesus, come. And he'll bring rewards to faithful Christians who've actually lived awake. Paul says, uh, uh, I now, I finished the race, I fought the face, uh, I've completed the task, and now lays up for me a crown, and not just for me, but for all those who look for his return. So he'll not only reward faithful Christians, but he will, he will punish his enemies. Sin will be no more. And he will set up a reign of righteousness, peace, and joy. And do we not need that? We are anchored, anchored and tethered between two comings of Jesus. And we hold them both. And when you hold them both, let the winds blow. You will not be toppled. You know that Jesus has finished his work, is for you in salvation. His coming future work, perhaps today, is for you in salvation. And he can be trusted to pull off his plan for the ages. That is our hope. Listen, we long for the world to be set right, do we not? We know that muddying through this world, just managing chaos after chaos and crisis after crisis, health issue after health issue, whatever, at a micro and a macro level cannot be the best that God has in mind. Personally, I am grateful to be born at this time and in this place of human history. I am glad to live in a democracy. But a democracy is the best form of government that sinful people can create. Its design is to create a system of checks and balances to manage sin while we're in this world before the king comes back. We don't long for a perfect democracy. No, Christians long for a theocracy. We need a king of glory to rule in grace and truth and bring righteousness, peace, and joy that covers the earth. And that's why we need King Jesus to come back. Oh, perhaps today. I was thinking in between the services, I joked to somebody, would that not be the best end to 2020 or what? <laughs> Christmas Eve, while everybody else just goes, whew, what a year. Want to put that in the rearview mirror? 
and you hear a trumpet blast, and it doesn't sound like one of those Happy New Year horns. And he wraps it up and moves his glorious reign forward. That's our hope. Verse 9. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us. Why? So that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live for him. And let's pause now, because this passage has described a sobering in times. And he's described as God's wrath. And some people would say, wrath? I thought God had love. Yes, he perfectly loves, and therefore there is wrath for the sin that violates those whom he loves perfectly. And you know that because you love big, which is why you get angry at the right things to be angry about those you, that harms those you love. And so it is with our Father, but you need to know that his desire, clearly in this text in front of us, is not for your destruction. It is for your deliverance, which is why he says, listen, He's destined you, he wants for you, he dreams for you to experience the salvation that he paid dearly to provide through the death of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you noticed the entire passage has been filled with contrast? Kids in the room, have you picked up the fact that we've talked about light versus darkness, day versus night, awake versus asleep, sober versus drunk, us versus them, deliverance versus destruction? What does that mean? tell us. It tells us that in the end, there will be two types of people. One person has chosen to trust in a Savior to pay for their sin, and the other person has stiff-armed God and said, no, I will pay for my sin on my own. And if you have not trusted Jesus Christ for salvation, if Jesus has been a curious interest to you, but not someone you cling to for your future and present hope. God has more for you. You can take him up on the salvation that he wants to give you. It comes, he says clearly in this text, through the Lord Jesus Christ, meaning through his death and resurrection at his first coming. Remember, he on that cross pays for sin. And he in that empty tomb gives eternal life. I don't want to pay for my sin, and I want eternal life. So this day I cling to a Savior and receive the salvation that he gives. And you too can, can make that commitment to Jesus. Perhaps today, perhaps today is the day of your salvation. Salvation will change your tomorrow, but it'll also change your today. That's what we've been saying in First Thessalonians 5. Because tomorrow's hope motivates today's faithfulness. So expecting that Jesus will return to set up a kingdom and a righteous, peaceful reign of joy, well, it lifts our vision today. See, he will return, again, perhaps today, so we live wide awake to what matters most. And we know that wide awake means a life of faith and hope and love, right? We saw that in the text. But not only that, the last closing verse we'll look at says, while we're living faithfully that way, we're gonna take real good care of each other because you are in the battle with me and I need you and you need me. And so the only command in this passage is in verse 11. Therefore, here's our command. These are marching orders. Encourage one another. Build or edify 
one another, just as you are doing. In other words, as a church family, I need you to look at me and remind me that perhaps today my king is coming. And you need me to look at you and remind you that this world is not all there is. This is not our home. We've been built for something much greater, but we are on a great assignment right now. Let's live it in faith and hope and love until he comes again. And oh, perhaps today. Theodore Epps said it this way. Live your life as if Jesus died yesterday, rose from the dead today, and is coming back tomorrow. And if you'll live your life that way, you will not be victims of the great disappointment. I don't care what 2020 has to offer. You will have a hope that girds your mind and a faith and love that guards your heart and you will live wide awake looking for your king to come back. And he is coming back, right? Perhaps today. See, tomorrow's hope motivates today's faithfulness. And all God's people say, and we add one other phrase, come, Lord Jesus, come. Would you stand? One of my favorite benedictions is found in the book of Jude, the closing two verses. Would you read this aloud together as we close out this morning in good reminder? Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. God bless you, fellowship.